MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G., Allison Gill, and this is episode four of my coverage of Go Back to Where You Came From by Wajahat Ali. Today, I'm going to cover chapter four, entitled Be Moderate, So America Will Maybe Love You Conditionally One Day, Inshallah. It starts on page 81 of the hardback edition and opens with Ali telling us that he's traveled the globe in search of the mythical creature known as the moderate Muslim. He says they became an endangered species after the 9-11 attacks and Americans and Europeans have continually asked, where are the moderate Muslims and how come they haven't condemned extremism? But the roughly 4 million Muslim Americans study after study overwhelmingly reject violence against civilians, oppose terrorism, remain optimistic about America, advocate for racial equality, and also help law enforcement. Quote, regardless, we're still lumped into a box with different flavors of extremism. And then Clinton gave his speech at the Democratic National Convention in 2016 and said, if you're Muslim and you love America and freedom and you hate terror, stay here and help us win and make a future together. We want you. Waj says he counted five ands and sort of tuned out after three in that statement. And then he breaks it down for us piece by piece to see if he passes the test. And I'm reading here from page 82. Here's the checklist. So in Clinton's statement, if you're a Muslim, check. Got that one. So far, so good. Two, and you love America. Check. Okay, two for two. Three, and freedom. Check. Who doesn't love freedom? I'm all about freedom. Hat trick. Four, and you hate terror. Check. Boo to terror. It's only allowed on Halloween and awkward family gatherings, but other than that, boo terror. Number five. Stay and help us win. Check. Okay, I'm I'm cool with the staying here part, but help us win. Help who win what exactly? Uh, Everything was going so well, but now I'm lost. Who are we playing against? What's my position? Who's on my squad? I warn you, all I can only dunk in NBA 2K. Number six. And to make a future together? Question mark? Together with who? With us? Who are we fighting? Did I just get drafted against my will? I'm overweight and I have a messed up feet. Can I just stay home and support you all as you fight by using color emojis and hashtags on social media? Good luck to all of you against whomever you're playing or fighting. Thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Now, Clinton made that speech two days before Muslim immigrants and gold star parents of Captain Khan took the stage. And that's when his dad pulled out that worn co- that copy of his constitution out of his pocket, his jacket pocket, and asked Donald Trump, have you ever read the constitution? And he ended with, you have sacrificed nothing and no one. 
And Waj wonders if Bill Clinton would have changed his statement about Muslims if he heard that speech first. And what's so painful about the trope of the moderate Muslim is that it assumes it's the exception and not the norm. And it assumes that unless each and every act of violence is condemned specifically, that means it's being condoned. And that double standard has been there since 9-11, but it, all, it wasn't always like that, which brings us to the section called Once Upon a Time When We Thought We Were White and Moderate. Wash says many of his dad's generation who came after the 1965 Immigration and Nationality Act actually chased whiteness as part of the American dream, though few would admit it. He says they were like Icarus with wings made of wax and money and upward social mobility that would let them escape their Musliminess Oblivious to the majority of Americans, their natural allies, black, brown, immigrant, low-income workers, the poor, just soaring above them. They kept soaring thanks to their exceptionalism, hard work, luck, grit, kismet, and God's divine favor, or so they told themselves. And then 9-11 melted their wings and impacted Muslims of color who assumed they were white. And next up is a section called Supermodel Minorities Deserve Their Own Box. And what he's talking about is those boxes we check when we check off what our ethnicity is. And he has them listed here. White, Black, Asian, American Indian, and Pacific Islander. So many ethnicities either get lumped into whiteness or the other box. In fact, Middle Eastern was long known in America as, as white. A 2015 Census Bureau study founded that when given an option... For Middle Eastern North African, those who identified as white dropped from nearly 86% to 20%. But some still opt for whiteness, he says. And another reason some do is, that, is to move far away from blackness as possible. And it's because of our history, right? He says when he visits other countries, he gets four main questions. Number one, why do you all love guns so much? Number two, why doesn't your government give you free health care? Number three, why did you vote for Trump? And number four, why does America hate black people so much? And his answers, number one, I don't own a gun. Number two, I'm all for government providing affordable health care. Number three, I didn't vote for Trump. And number four, this country has a disease history of racism and anti-blackness that it has yet to truly confront and acknowledge. And I'm reminded of The Reckoning by Mary Trump here. And, and here Waj tells a story of when uh, his Kala Bibi visited him in the Bay Area. And she lived most of her life. It's a, I think it's like his mom's aunt, right? Great aunt. Uh, she lived most of her life in Karachi, Pakistan. And one night he took her out for ice cream. And then after they stopped at a gas station and there was a black man approaching the car and she said, lock the doors, lock the doors. And he was like, but why? He's just standing there. And then she said, you never know, just lock the door. And he didn't indulge her fear. And on the drive home, asked her why she reacted the way she did, especially since she has zero interaction with black people in Karachi. And she replied that when she sees black people on TV and in the news in Pakistan, they're always portrayed as criminals. But Waj's dad's generation was never portrayed that way. They were portrayed as polite and timid, always take their shoes off at the door. Quote, we study hard, we work hard, pay our taxes, and are grateful to America for all its opportunities. But the model minority, quote unquote, is an idea promoted by the whiteness. It ignores diverse experiences and narratives. It overlooks discrimination. And worst of all, it uses South Asian and Asian immigrants to launder systemic racism and discrimination against poor black and Latino communities. Let me repeat that because that really is an important sentence. The whiteness uses South Asian and Asian immigrants to launder systemic racism and discrimination against poor black and Latino communities. 
Quote, the system turns us into enforcers and defenders of whiteness, promising success and safety in exchange for loyalty and obedience. But it's an abusive and toxic relationship in which the system has always betrayed us on a whim without remorse or hesitation. Examples. Being a model, model minority doesn't help in business as Asian Americans are the least likely group in the U.S., least likely to be promoted to management. It didn't help all the victims of AAPI hate, including Vichy Ratana Pakti, who was fatally attacked in the Bay Area, fueled by anti-Asian racism, or Bawi Kung from Myanmar and his two kids who were stabbed nearly to death in Texas because the attacker thought they were Chinese and infecting people with COVID. That first year of lockdown, Stop AAPI Hate documented over 3,000 incidents after Trump decided to call COVID the China virus and Kung flu. But Waja's dad's generation had no idea they were being used to promote whiteness because they didn't know the doors of America only opened for them after they had been closed to Latin American immigrants and Mexicans. And here's where Awaj talks about Congressman Michael Feigen. He's a Democrat from Ohio. He wanted the ethnic makeup of America to stay predominantly white. So the immigrant, this isn't back in the uh, 60s when this passed. So the Immigration and Nationality Act put a cap on immigration from the Western Hemisphere that was designed to restrict immigration from Latin America. It also established favorability to skilled and professional workers, which negatively impacted unskilled labor. And um, even though global demand, by the way, for that kind of labor was increasing. But all of that drastically reduced the number of Mexican workers legally coming to America. We dropped our 200,000 annual quota. We had 200,000 and we dropped it to 20,000, which in turn increased undocumented immigration. Not because more people were coming, but because we decimated the cap. We, we said, nope, not 200,000, 20,000. Fegan also helped give preference to family re reunification migration, which he thought, and I was like, who came up with, you know, the reunification migration? He thought it would bring more European immigrants. But Waj's family was one of the unintended beneficiaries of Fegan's racism. He says, thanks, Fegan. His dad was able to bring Dadi, Dada, Yasmin, his siblings, and his mom, um, and which led to Waj being born a U.S. citizen. So the system that welcomed, him, that welcomed Waj's family effectively eliminated legal immigration for most Mexican immigrants. Quote, this is probably why Chad asked the only Mexican kid from first grade to punch me in the stomach at James Leadage Elementary School. The universe found a way to make amends, unquote. And that brings us to the section of chapter four called Muslims Love Bush. On page 92 in the hardback edition, Waj was just 20. He was in college in the year 2000. And he learned his family and most Muslims were going to vote for George Bush. His aunt said, Beta, we're all going to vote as a Muslim bloc for once and vote for Bush. Waj was like, don't do that. He implored the, the, his family not to do that. Bush, he said, Bush would be bad for Muslims. But Bush, unlike Democrats, actively courted the Muslim American vote, thanks to the advice provided by one Grover Norquist. Remember Grover Norquist, the tax guy, the guy who said he wanted to shrink government down to the size where we can drown it in the bathtub? And as a candidate, Bush met with Muslims and spoke out against racial profiling, and that message paid off. 60,000 Muslim votes went for Bush in Florida. Bush won Florida by 537 votes, if you'll remember. On to, quote, you'll be moderate, but you'll never be moderate enough. And this is Waj's story about where he was on uh, the morning of 9-11. He was in California. His roommate at UC Berkeley knocked on his door and said, you have to see this now. So he came out in his jammies, 
uh, went to the living room where the TV was on, and he saw that one of the towers was on fire. And then they kept showing the video of a plane crashing into it. And he says, at the time, we were all hoping it was just a tragic accident. But then the anchor said this could potentially be a terror attack by al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And he says, quote, whenever there's news of a terror attack, shooting, violence, or cringeworthy scandal that could debase entire communities, we pray the culprit is a white dude. Not because we, will, we wish ill will on whites. Rather, it's a realization that whenever the culprit is a white man or a white woman, America will demonize only that specific individual. And as he watched the towers burn, he realized, quote, our lives had forever changed. Uh, and there would now and forever be a pre-9-11 world and a post-9-11 world. And, and Waj was 20 years old. He was a college student trying to figure out his major. But in that moment, he was instantly transformed into a, a spokesman for 1.8 billion Muslims and an encyclopedia of 1,400 years of Islam. And the next 10 years flashed before his eyes, and he saw the wrath of America descend on Muslims and those who looked Muslimy. Quote, we had to steel ourselves for a bruising, but also dig down deep and commit to working for a better future. And then he homed in on one unescapable regret when he, he joined the Muslim Student Association and volunteered his email on their website as the media contact. Quote, guess who got all the lovely hate mails, death threats, vile anti-Muslim filth, demands to fornicate with animals, and media requests? Yours truly. Awesome. Unquote. The Board of Berkeley called an emergency meeting. The fear of blowback was palpable. And at first, many Muslims didn't believe al-Qaeda could have done it. We simply didn't think Muslims, especially suicidal terrorists who weren't usually that brilliant, were capable of executing such a sophisticated terror plot, unquote. Wash, the, most Muslims thought there's no way they could get past the U.S. law enforcement and U.S. government and pull this off. But Muslims were also among the heroes of 9-11, and Waj tells the story of Mohammed Salman Hamdani, a 23-year-old responder, EMT, who ran into the towers as they were burning to save people, to save people's lives. And for 45 days, he was not praised as a hero. He was considered a suspect, based on nothing other than his religion. The New York Post published an article with the headline, Missing or Hiding? His body was eventually found in... 34 pieces by the North Tower. 20 years later, his mother is still trying to have him recognized as a first responder and be named alongside the other heroes at the North Pool of the 9-11 Memorial. His name is currently at the South Pool. Quote, one's moderation as a Muslim was now suspect, so suspect that even if you became an EMT, helped the NYPD, and ran into a burning building to save civilians, you were still a potential threat. What hope did the rest of us have? Unquote. Now, UC Berkeley's chancellor called, uh, called them up and wanted to have an off-the-record meeting with just the five Muslim Student Association board members. And it was just them, the chancellor, and the president of the university. And the first question the chancellor and president asked was what they could do to help. Did, have you gotten any backlash? And what can we do to help? But the second question, the second question was, are you guys going to cause any trouble? What can we expect? Quote, we should have been interrogated for being dorks, a sausage factory of dudes who spent their nights in my apartment drinking chai, playing video games, talking shit, and eating brownies without weed, unquote. But they did see an opportunity to have the university commit to helping coordinate education forums and activities that could help bridge the divide with the local community and other student groups. They asked for space and advertising and resources, and they actually got it. And in the following year, they assembled alliances with other student groups and brought in speakers like Noam Chomsky. And that was Waj's initial political awakening. 
and he didn't know it at the time, but that would be the training ground that would prepare him for the rest of his life. Now, shortly after the terror attacks, the Berkeley School paper published an inflammatory cartoon by Darren Bell. And this is, by the way, the story of uh, Waja's first run-in with right-wing media. So Darren Bell published this cartoon in the Berkeley School paper that showed two men with beards and turbans standing on the head of Satan in hell with the flames licking their feet. And one of them says to the other, we made it to paradise. Now we will meet Allah and be fed grapes and be serviced by 70 virgin women. And the other man was holding a book that said Flight Manual. Waj decided he was going to walk over to the paper's office and have a chat with the editor to explain how that cartoon hurt so many people. But no one came to meet him. He waited for an hour, and then he waited for a few hours. And during that time, about 100 students showed up to demand the editors address their concerns. And Waj found himself with a microphone in his hand and apparently said, at some point, they have to be held accountable. And that is what earned him his debut on Fox News on the Bill O'Reilly show. And then Wash talks about how he remembers before 9-11, he and his Muslim friends would pray openly. And then he, he lists, he would keep a running list of all the places he prayed. But after 9-11, he admits regretfully that he and many others hesitated to pray in public. He says, not because we're ashamed of our religion, but in a, in a duel between logic and fear, fear wins eight times out of 10. And as a result, I became a suspect. His next piece of advice on how to become an American is to be a patriot. It says, be a patriot. And this begins on section, uh, this section begins on page 104. In, in talks about President Bush's remarks after 9-11, where he said, the face of terrorism is not the true face of Islam. And I think we all remember this. This is not what Islam is all about. He said, Islam is peace. And then he said, I've been told that some fear to leave home because wearing cover, uh, they're afraid they'll be intimidated. And that should not and will not stand in America, Bush said. And then he signed the Patriot Act, which I didn't know this, but stands for Providing Appropriate Tools Required to Intercept and Obstruct Terrorism, Patriot. The act expanded the intel security apparatus to allow the government to surveil Americans under the guise of combating terrorism. And it also provided material support to designate foreign terrorist organizations. This included charities. So if a charity you supported was now deemed a terrorist group, you could be indicted. So terrified Muslims no longer felt safe donating to Muslim organizations. In 2003, Robert Mueller directed each of the FBI's 56 field offices to count the number of Muslims' mosques and Muslim charities in their regions. And then Bush launched an illegal preemptive war on terror, and Muslim immigrants tried their best to prove they were moderate Muslims. So in Afghan neighborhoods everywhere, especially in Fremont, that you know where Waj lived, he, he noticed... You would see Afghan restaurants and stores plastered with U.S. flags. I still see them today. And over time, Muslims would learn what traits and activities would help them appear moderate versus which traits and activities made them seem shady. He says, first, don't be a non-citizen. Second, don't speak Arabic out loud. Arabic was so frightening after 9-11, it united anti-Muslim bigots to block the opening of the Khalil Gibran International Academy in Brooklyn, which was a secular public Arabic-English school. Of course, Khalil Gibran was not Muslim. He was Lebanese Christian who wrote The Prophet, which was Elvis Presley's favorite book. Waj also adds that 56% of Americans in a survey believed that kids shouldn't be taught Arabic numbers, but that's what numbers, that's what we're taught. He says, so here's a friendly recap. Don't be Muslim. Don't be a Muslim immigrant. Don't speak Arabic. Don't teach or open a secular school that teaches Arabic. Don't wear hijab. 
He says on page 109, quote, for over a decade, Muslims were used as canaries in the post 9-11 coal mine, while white supremacist talking points, conspiracy theories and sympathizers became mainstreamed to the point that thousands of Trump supporters engaged in a violent insurrection on January 6, 2021, took over the U.S. Capitol and failed to overturn a free and fair democratic election. So, Waj has created a moderate Muslim checklist. So let me go through this here with you. I'm just going to read it to you. <clears throat> a moderate Muslim checklist. Uh, he says here, you know, if you want to, if you want something done, you have to do it yourself. So I've created a moderate Muslim checklist. You will be able to easily spot and eliminate replicants after administer after administering it. It is a three-step test. Number one, read the 30 prompts and check the boxes if they apply to you. At the end, count up all the boxes you've checked, and then you'll get your score. For uh, you'll be scored on uh, by the way a scale from ISIS cheerleader to Doctor Oz. It says only test one person, one test per person. Please do not talk to anyone or consult any resources before or during the test. Remember, Allah is watching, so don't lie or cheat or else you'll burn in hellfire forever. Number one, check this box if you believe that Allah is watching, so don't lie or cheat or else you'll burn in hellfire forever. <laughs> Congratulations, the test has already begun. And here are the rest. Number two, you apologize in advance for every terrorist act done by Muslim extremists you have ever met in countries you've never visited. You read Rumi in the original Farsi and think the English translations are lightweight, whitewashed fluff that are great for social media quotes and scoring on first dates. Number four, you yell Allahu Akbar out loud several times a week in prayer while watching a sporting game or even at times after relieving yourself in the bathroom. Number five, you volunteer to be racially profiled at airports and think it's a great way to make new friends. Number six, you see something and you always say something. Number seven, you have a worn out copy of Al-Khattab textbook from learning Arabic. Your favorite Sam, number eight, your favorite Salmon Rushdie novel is Satanic Verses. <laughs> number nine, you support religious freedoms and women's rights, but believe the hijab and niqab should be banned. You eat with your hands and uh, only bring out utensils for guests. You wear hijab only on bad hair days. Number 12, you think the Muslim Brotherhood is a powerful union. Number 13, you love democracy and socialism, especially democratic socialism. Number 14, you know the difference between dry and wet, uh, dry and wet martini. Number 15, you pr prefer peaceful MLK to radical Malcolm X. <clears throat> Number 16, you draw offensive cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad uh, between taking bites of a delicious BLT sandwich with extra bacon. Number 17, you use a bidet to pour water from a receptacle known as a loda to clean your behind. Uh, number 18, you have a worn-out VHS, VHS copy of The Message starring Anthony Quinn and the uncle of the, uh, the, um, as the uncle of Prophet Muhammad. Number 19, you're able to immediately identify the pungent smells of a mosque carpet or an uncle's feet. Number 20, you think pigs in a blanket refers to cute farm animals. Number 21, you only bow during the downward dog. 22, you voluntarily fast during Ramadan because it's great weight loss and cleanse. 23, you fast during Ramadan because you believe it's one of the five pillars of Islam. Number 24, you want more prayer in school and government, but you fear Sharia. 25, you would support U.S. troops bringing democracy to Agrabah. <laughs> That's the fake place in Aladdin. Number 26, the Israel-Palestine the Israel -Palestine section. A, you support a two-state solution in the Middle East. B, you support a one-state solution in the Middle East. C, you believe Israel occupies the West Bank, Gaza, East Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights. 
D, you believe Palestinians deserve self-determination and a homeland. E, you believe it's a really complex conflict that has gone on for thousands of years and both sides are to blame and Palestinians and Jews hate each other, so there's no political solution, so we should instead forget about it and eat hummus. Number 27, you think the Obamas are very fine, well-spoken Muslim family. Oh, God. Number 28, you have a thick, bushy, well-groomed hipster beard. Number 29, you think Allah and God are the same thing. And number 30, you know the lyrics to Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA, and you gladly stand up and sing along whenever and wherever you hear it playing. Now, count up how many boxes you checked. If you checked up to five boxes, you get a five. Six to 15, you get a four. 16 to 20, you get a three. 21 to 25 boxes, give yourself a two. And if you check more than 25 boxes, you're a one. So here is the scale for the test. Number five, you're Dr. Oz. You're moderate, safe, and thoroughly sanitized from mass media consumption. White Midwestern moms find your ethnic background and spiritual practices to be enlightening and interesting. You are safe safe to wear a doctor's coat and say whatever you want, and Americans will believe you. Number four, you're Fareed Zakaria. You're mostly moderate, civilized, presentable to international audiences. White audiences with a college education find your opinions to be informed and edifying. However, your occasional critiques and accented English keep many others on the fence skeptical about your motivations. Number three, you are a sketchy Uber driver if you checked between 16 to 20 boxes. You are trusted enough to be allowed to drive us, but that's only because it's late, we're drunk, and we left our car at home because we didn't want to drive in the city. We appreciate you giving us a mint, but that doesn't mean we're inviting you over for a barbecue. We're watching you. You'll only get four stars from us. Number two, if you checked, you if you checked between 21 to 25 boxes, you are Congressman Ilhan Omar. You are terrifying. Everything about you is foreign, ethnic, disturbing, and triggering. However, you speak English and enough people seem to like you, so that means you're crafty and cunning, able to hide your radical ways through charm and subterfuge. We know you'll mess up one day and reveal your plot. We'll be there waiting, vigilant, and then we'll pounce and gloat. Aha, we warned y'all, but you didn't believe us. But then it'll be too late, because we'll be slaves of Sharia in your caliphate of cruelty. And then if you checked more than 25 boxes, you are an ISIS cheerleader. You're so radical, you piss terror. If you were a cheerleader, you would ask students to give you a J for jihad. You were disappointed. You were disappointed your parents didn't get you scimitars and kalashnikovs for your war on Christmas, a holiday you don't celebrate. You dream of breakdancing to the screams of infidels. You say Allahu Akbar five times a day and wear ethnic clothing and hang out with practicing Muslims who do the same in mosques. You eat halal meat, fast during Ramadan, and believe in the moon god known as Allah. Your name is mostly, uh, most likely has more syllables than two, and you are a radical Muslim, and you must go back to where you came from. Waj ends the chapter saying, second thought, screw this checklist, tear it all up. I just realized we will never, ever be moderate enough, because no matter how many times we've played the condemnation game, condemning every violent act done by a Muslim, and no matter how many times we've proven our loyalty, no matter how many times we've smiled with our white teeth and paid our taxes and abided by the law and done everything right, we're still seen as suspects and not as complex, diverse, strange, funny, hypocritical human beings among the 1.8 billion who happen to be Muslim. I'm done playing this game. That's chapter four. I will be back next week with chapter five. 
There's a lot more in that chapter, too. He has his thoughts on the Dixie Chicks. There, there's so much in here. Pick up this book if you haven't yet. And, of course, his writing is so good and so funny and dark. I can't possibly do it justice just by telling you about it. Like I said, it's like me regaling you with a, a Pat Oswalt show that I've seen. And I just I can't, you know, have you ever tried to tell a joke? Anyway. You got to read the book yourself so you can get it wherever you get your books. Also out today, episode of Muller She Wrote featuring Pete Struck. And I'll be back on the Daily Beans tomorrow morning. Dana will be back on Tuesday. She's been out of the country, but she'll be back Tuesday. Uh, and until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. And take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.